0: Late Night Conversations, Monday to Thursday, 10pm till midnight, Social Conversations. We're now going to be talking about uh, a march, Earth Life Africa is going to be leading a march in Johannesburg on Global Day of Action. Uh, this happens on the 10th of November, and uh, it's happening in the backdrop of uh, COP27 uh, that is set to, to talk about climate change action and what needs to be done. It's underway currently in Egypt. We are talking to Makoma Likalakala, who's director at Earthlife Africa Johannesburg. Thank you very much for joining us, Makoma. Good evening. Good evening,
1: and good evening to your listeners.
0: Uh, Can you uh, tell us what's happening at uh, COP27? You're already in Egypt. Um, What Mm -hmm. is the feel? Are there any, um, you know, discussions that are productive? Because the last time you and I had a conversation, you were looking forward Mm -hmm. to this particular COP27.
1: Yes. Um, One of the things of uh, this COP is on loss and damage. And this COP has been... Branded as an African COP, but, however, it's not the first time that uh, this United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change takes place in in Africa. This is actually the fifth time that it takes in Africa. The issues around um, loss and damage um, clearly saying that, um, as Africans, we're not responsible for the climate crisis that we find ourselves in. And secondly, it's that there has been pledges that have been made by the developed uh, countries, those who are responsible for the crisis or the disruption that we find ourselves in, and uh, we hope that these pl- pledges would come to a fruition. The other issue that is very concerning is that this Conference of the Parties is taking place in Egypt, a country that we know that there has been repression of human rights defenders, repression of activists. So we hope that that would also be an issue that is going to be highlighted at COP. But for now, the opening session was today where the presidents were from different countries were speaking, and then they all had positive statements to, to make. But making those positive statements um, would need to see implementation, would need to see action because ordinary people all over the world are taking action in protecting their environments and protecting their environment and then challenging the the actions or the activities that are taking place or that are influencing the places. Uh, that uh, ultimately are the cause of global warming and the cause of climate change. So at this COP, um, there's people from government, from business, from civil society organizations, um, and um, the the message is clear. We can't be talking for over 20-odd years for us to develop a convention on climate change that would bind legally all the countries because ordinary people already are protecting their environment and we need a strong environmental governance worldwide
0: Makwama, you know when you are telling me that uh, presidents from various countries were speaking uh, today our president was also part of this uh, um, group of presidents Was there anything said by these presidents that showed commitment? Because every time we have um, uh, such meetings, we are told things that we already know, like the climate is changing, we need to lower carbon emission, but no one is coming in to give us, or any head of state coming in to give us decisive uh, action that is going to be taken.
1: I would say that action is taken at a small pace, in, in different countries one what we need is strong climate governance or strong legislation around government government uh, climate governance for example here in South Africa we have a climate change bill that needs to be um, that uh, climate change, change bill that would need to be made an act so when we have that climate change act then we'd be able to hold everyone accountable to say action needs to be done. What was said, it's basically nothing new. However, what was added this year was an emphasis on loss and damage, emphasis on climate reparations, of which Africa needs more. Africa, the Philippines, Pakistan, and other countries that have been beset by climate uh, disasters need that climate reparations. And uh, at least this is something that came out, but however, we need to see if this is going to be implemented. Particularly that the developing countries for over years have made pledges to to, to assist in the climate finance so that the um, countries and people can adapt, but that has not been coming forward. So we expect to see at the end of this uh, conference of the parties that uh, those pledges or those monies should have been at least be put into accounts and in the climate finance accounts, and we would be saying that real action has taken place from the government. But ordinary people, wherever they are, whether in South Africa, in the eastern coast of South, coast of South Africa, whether in Limpopo around the makado whether in the Northwest region, whether in the Northern Cape, people are preserving their environments. And they also are facing threats because of protecting the climate. So people are taking action. All what we need is from governments, particularly that we need to have a climate legislation or climate governance that would be implemented.
0: Makwama, you know, when it comes to the climate change reparations you're speaking of and the fact that these pledges have been made year in and year out. And I know we have had this conversation before that mm. uh, the pledges are made, they're not honored. An iron fist is required. Yeah. Who should be making sure that the iron fist is implemented? Because even if we've got legislation around climate change, it needs to be global. But there needs to be a body that will then be the iron fist to oversee that it is actually being actioned.
1: For now, um, what is happening is that um, what is being discussed, as long as we don't have a climate change convention, um, it is going to be a little bit difficult to enforce implementation to make sure that those who make pledges do deliver immediately we have a climate change convention, then we can be able to say, Britain, UK, you pledge this, this country, US, pledge this, so where is the money? And that is what activists have been asking over the years to say, this climate finance doesn't seem to be coming through. And when we have the convention, that is when at least we have a legally binding agreement that we can take and say this is the commitment that has been made and we need to deliver it.
0: So the youth is also present at COP27. What is their voice? What are they saying? What do they want to see? And what action are they taking as young people? Because we know every revolution um, has Mm -hmm. young people in it and the young people are more robust and more upfront and they fear less.
1: Yes. These young people, most of them, have experienced trauma. The trauma of seeing disasters, the trauma of reading about the flooding, like the recent cases uh, climate change induced natural disaster. Young people have seen in other countries, like in the East or in the Horn of Africa, where there's um, continuous drought. So that has been, that has been traumatic to them. And uh, over the past year, they have challenged governments, they have challenged the UNFPCI to say they, they, they need a bright future. They need a future where they can move, because the way we're going about looks like there's not going to be a future. And young people also want to be included in the decision-making processes, because this is about them. This is about their future. Most of us would be dead. When these young people become adults, and so it is quite important, and um, it is also for them to be at COP. It uh, challenges challenges um, those who are in the decision-making process, and they need to know, uh, obviously, that those in the decision-making process most of them are over 50, whilst they're making decisions for young people who need to be educated. To be part of saying this is how we want our future this is what needs to be done so that we we can leave um when we're gone and so there's a challenge to all of us and not only to the negotiators not only to our government but challenge to each and every one of us to say what is great that we're doing that we can leave a brighter future for the future generations. the other thing some of the young people are children of, of activists. They are children of human rights defenders who have been named and cured um, for protecting the climate. And it, um, on the 10th, what the march that we're going to be having in Johannesburg, is also a march of honoring environmental defenders. As you know that the 10th of November, it's the day that Ken Saruwiwa, a Nigerian writer who was challenging, Shell together with other activists, were killed. So on the 10th of November, MeetCorp would be saying it is important that climate protectors, environmental and human rights defenders are protected. So it is important to move a clause in the convention, in the legally binding agreement that would ensure that those who protect the biodiversity, those who protect our climate, are being protected also. Because the scale that are going on now, besides Ken Kasaraua, the Human Rights Watch and Global Witness and the Human Rights Watch, they compile uh, reports annually. And from those reports, you can see that there's more than 200 People, climate defenders that are being killed annually um, in the whole world. And here in South Africa, we know the story of Sigmund Changase, Sigmund Changase. we know the story of Bazuwa Katewe from the Amadiba Crisis Committee. And these are not the only two. There's many others that we don't know their names. There's many others that die or get killed, but it's not linked directly for them protecting their land, their environment, and challenging particularly mining in this country.
0: So on the 10th of November, as you have said, there's going to be a huge march here in uh, Johannesburg, which is a good thing, um, commemorating a Global Day of Action. Uh, But uh, your program officer, uh, Mr. Sternkamp, um came out to say, you know they are urging negotiators at cop twenty uh, seven for protection of those fighting against exploitation of uh, the environment, such as those that you have mentioned, you know, um, mm-hmm. those who were killed in Nigeria as they were challenging the oil extractions by shell, um, and and many others that you have also mentioned, and is also urging mm-hmm. the South African government to accelerate, you know, Uh, just transition in the country. Is this going to be done? Are we speaking protection of the people who are activists or is the talk at COP27 um, just concentrating on protection of the environment, forgetting
1: the activists? Um, This is one thing that we want to highlight and it has been highlighted um, several times. Within the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, and this is the issue that also has been taken with the Human Rights United Nations Human Rights Council to say people who are protecting their biodiversity, people who are protecting their environment, are being killed continuously. And uh, thus, if we really need to combat climate change, if we really need to bring about a low-carbon economic development, those that are working for that needs to be protected. So, the Just Transition Framework also uh, talks to that, and this is one of the topics that are going to be at the United Nations Framework Convention at the COP this year, in that South Africa has actually led the way of coming up with a Just Transition Framework. And that framework, the the principles of the framework are around restorative justice, around procedural justice, and distributive justice. And the justice issue is at the center of the transition, and that transition is already taking place. We cannot say it's not. It's already taking place. There are plans that are being done. And the transition is taking place because we can see also with the addition of more renewable energies particularly solar into our grid and people also using solar that um, so for electricity that the transition is already taking place and, and this transition was supposed to have taken place long ago but it's taking place now even though at a slow pace but even if it's taking place at a Pay, <clears throat> sorry, that it means that uh, people need to be at the center. People, uh, The transition doesn't have to deny people jobs, so there are jobs that are going to be created. So those wa- workers who are being shifted from coal mining towards other um, electricity generation, they need to be upskilled, they need to be reskilled, and also there is a need. For them to be exposed more to new skills, so that this transition um, runs smoothly. But we don't expect it to be to be 360 degrees overnight. This is going to take time, and it's still happening. Although now it's like very slow, but we hope that by 2050 uh, we shall see the results of. the guidelines that uh, the South African government
0: has. I'm glad you spoke about uh, preserving employment as we move uh, to uh, more uh, clean energy. But is there no call to those who are supplying the clean energy to relook at their pricing? I mean, it would be so much easier to go solar power, wind power, water mm. power, um, but it's so expensive uh, initially to set up. Uh, as opposed to Mm -hmm. continuing with the the, the coal and so on that is not environmentally friendly. So is there a call for them to start looking at their prices because of the impact that we have been experiencing?
1: The price of renewable energy technologies are very low globally. And um, in South Africa, the issue is that that, promotion of renewable energy technologies has not been that high. And this also is because of some of um, the regulations and the policies that we have, but also that um, we have seen within the departments that we have, there has not been an appetite to have much more renewables into the energy mix. And I'll make an example. Yes, the prices are high, as people are saying, but an example, I'll make an example about um, cellular phones. When cellular phones came in, they were very expensive and not a lot of people um, could afford to, to have a cell phone. But demand made cell phones much cheaper. There's more cell phones like we had maybe 30 years or 20 years ago and then, um, or 22 years, 25 years ago, and this tells you that the more there is demand for renewable energy for solar, then the prices would get even far, far much less. But the other thing that also prevents that is we know that um, the, 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 the there is no political will. To invest more since we know that our politicians um, uh, are also or also have an interest in the coal mining sector but I'm happy that I see their language changing I see them embracing the transition and uh, we hope that we'll see change very soon the prices are very low globally um, the price of, of solar has dropped down so much and all what we need is a promotion and uh, an appetite. Our municipalities could be doing that and we would be not having the crisis of uh, load sharing as we have, and we would have much more. If Eskomidupi was um, not built and uh, the money that is um, now uh, having cost overruns, if we had installed solar panels across the country, I think we'd not be talking load shedding and also would be, um, we'd not have this problem of electricity is very expensive. Mm.
0: Makama, because of time, we're going to have to end it there. Thank you so very much for joining us. Um, how do we uh, join in on the 10th of November for the Global Day of Action?
1: You're most welcome. And uh, we'd also urge other people to take action even if, if you're not in a march, but you can do little um, to support and also to to take part in other activities that are taking place around this time to highlight the climate disaster that we find ourselves in.
0: Thank you very much, Makoma.